another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast, now weekly. So you may have heard us last week, but we are back every week. Hold on to your hats. This is no longer a drill. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, this week's episode is brought to you by Pock. I don't know if it's the skiing background, but I've always been a really big fan of big sunglasses. And Pock's new Devour are, I mean, they're massive. Actually, they might as well be a set of ski goggles, and I am here for it. The frame is almost non-existent, so it makes the field of vision wider than an old-school pair of sunglasses. Plus, the temples and the nose piece are adjustable to custom fit it for your face. I've been wearing them mountain biking and skiing, actually, and I've been really impressed with the clarity of the lenses and how comfortable they are. They have a ton more fancy features like scratch proofing and anti-dirt, anti-water treatment. That's all great, but really what got these sunglasses for me is the sheer size of them. Say what you will about big glasses, but more face coverage for me means better protection. Check them out and more from Pock at pocksports.com. And thank you to Pock for sponsoring this episode. How do you guys feel about big glasses? That's awesome. I um I have a tiny face and so I think I look ridiculous. <laughs> but I'm I'm all for them and I would like to invest in some big sunglasses. Um even if I look ridiculous. I, I'm also in the in the small face camp with this one. But I'm interested in the scratch proofing because every pair of sunglasses I ever seem to have owned has ended up so scratched and everyone always looks at it and goes, What have you done to your sunglasses? So you're the person who like probably takes them off and goes to put them on their helmet or something and then they either fall off then or when you're pulling your helmet off and they're like stuck in the helmet they can fall out then <laughs> that's me at least and that's yeah. why I have scratches and the problem I have with some glasses is I'm a big sweaty person so <laughs> I feel like nothing is Lauren sweat resistant so maybe the sheer mm. size will help with that <laughs> <laughs> these also have like really cool vents in the top so like if you're sweaty that actually helps helps quite a bit they've got like holes in the top of the lenses the key thing with the big ones is that they're probably more likely to keep flies out right and as a wearer of contact lenses a fly in the eye is not the one like you're trying to get it out the contact lens comes out instead absolute nightmare i have been known to ride home like with one eye closed because it's to like you look you feel drunk if you've got one contact lens in and one not and yeah so yeah windshield being a drona person sorry bagnoles post person (laughs) guys are heading into the mini fly season you know oh my god yes the clouds swarms of them oh god come home and like again going back to being sweaty person i'd have sunscreen (laughs) all over my body and face and i'd be like covered in black and then they bite you the little efforts. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Don't miss that about your own, guys. <laughs> it's probably the only thing. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> the fly weather report. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, as you have now heard, I have both of my lovely co-hosts with me, Lauren Rowney, who is in Belgium, and the weather is actually quite nice today. Yes, as we saw on the TV and... I didn't think it was that windy, but we'll get into that later, what unfolded today in the race. And Amy Jones. Amy. Hello. Hello. Hey, hey. I really liked your play-by-play reporting from, well, the enemy. (laughs) Thanks. I I tried to get a few little puns in there. Hope everyone appreciated. I really liked the dog photo in the beginning. Oh, yes. 
I was trying to find, I was like, every rider that I mentioned, I went on their Instagram and I was like, oh, they're dogs. And a disappointingly small amount of dogs, actually. Everyone needs to up their dog game in the peloton. It's because it's like, hard to have a dog when you're a professional cyclist. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. True. When you're a professional cyclist, like your dog pics just don't get likes. And we know. What- you have to- <laughs> <laughs> no, The algorithm doesn't like it. No, these professional cyclists don't have the right type of people following them. Yeah. Is all I'm going to say. Yeah. That is the reasoning. <laughs> How, we have to cover Trofeo Alfredo Binda, but I think we should start with Bruges de Pena because it just happened. Or sorry, OxyClean Classic Bruges de Pena. Literally, we just finished watching it 30 minutes ago, and it was a very exciting finale after a very not so exciting run in. <laughs> Amy, you covered it play by play. Do you want to tell us what happened? So basically, as Abby said, like not a whole lot did happen until, particularly until they got to the the two laps of the main of the finishing circuit, um, which was forty five k's long, so quite long. Um, and basically, it's all about the long straight, which I cannot pronounce. Dear, come on, Lauren, help me out here. Send me the word and I'll pronounce it. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and the first go along there, um, the peloton did split quite a lot. There were like three groups with echelons on the road, uh, but it all came back together. And um, yeah, there were a few crashes, but it was basically just like everyone together until the next time they went down there. And then it really split. Um, SD works on the front again. And Lotta Kopecky got caught out and did the most insane effort on her own to bridge um, from the second group to the front group, which was full of most of the favorites um, for the sprint, except for um, Lorena Ribes and Sarah Roy. And then, you didn't ask for like the whole thing, but I'm gonna tell you. Um, And then Grace Brown, um chips off the front with 10ks to go and took it all the way to the line which was incredible but it was our only option in that group as well yeah i think what was really fascinating about the race was that they knew the splits were coming because they'd already done one lap of that section so everybody knew that the crosswinds were coming and it, Actually, Sarah Tizit WNT was the team that really lined it up at the front. And they had three riders in the split when it happened with Julie Leth, uh, Lisa Brenauer, and Chris Kirsten Wield. Other team, other really strong sprinters also made it into that group. We had Alice Barnes, Jolene Dehor, and Amy Peters of SD Works, um, Emma Cecily Norsgaard, and Elisa Balsamo for Valcar Travel and Silence, who is kind of chipping away at getting better and better. She won the bunch sprint at Trofeo Alfredo Binda and is kind of this rider that is always really there in these sprints. And I'm, I'm just waiting for the moment that she has like a, a real breakthrough performance because, um, she was the U 23 or the women's junior world champion from Doha. And she's still very, very young. And the fact that she made it into this group was really impressive. I mean, it was a group of kind of the the who's who of sprinting right now in the women's peloton and then all of them had a teammate except for alice barnes um even a, even uh emma norsgaard had a teammate in there which was um surprising because i think that what we've 
scene from Movistar, well, when it comes to Emma and the sprinting, notably at Omelu Pet Newsblad, she's missing kind of the the teamwork to back her. Um, So it was really great to see one of her teammates in there as well. And when Grace Brown went, there was just like a split second of hesitation here in the group. I mean, uh, Amy Peters kind of kind of went and tried to get on her wheel, but didn't quite have, did either didn't have the legs or didn't have the conviction to like really jump. And that slight hesitation really won Grace the race because as the chase was going behind her, the, the break was really hovering around 18 seconds. It dropped to 13 at one point. It climbed to 21 seconds at one point, but she was kind of going the exact same speed as the four domestiques that had sprinters in that group which was kind of crazy. And I mean, an an incredible ride from Grace Brown. I think that with a group like that, we all expected a bunch sprint from this race or a reduced bunch sprint of like big names. Yeah. Like you said, all the sprinters were there represented with someone to help them and assist. So if they wanted to sit in, they had a helper again, just Grace Brown and Alice Barnes were not represented by a teammate. Um, but Alice played that really well. She was just sitting in the wheels. Grace, funny enough, was working the brake. And I did find myself thinking, why is she working the brake? Like she doesn't have to actually, she doesn't want to as such. But, um, you know, during the race we were talking and the only way she was going to win is if she went for this attack. And I actually thought, oh, maybe she would go inside of 10 kilometres. But I think the fact that she went at 10 did catch them off guard a little bit she is a time trialer so she's more than capable of doing such an effort but again it was one of the I think it's the longest race in the season um Dupana and they averaged just under 40 kilometers an hour for the whole race so it's not like they're completely dawdling um so for me that was just a really amazing effort and her timing was just perfect I think Mm-hmm. It was funny that she went at 10.0. Like she, she saw the 10 in, and she went, oh. She saw the 10 and she was like, which we, which it's, it is surprising that nobody anticipated that because you look around at that group and all of the sprinters that were in that group, group, you'd think that they would be looking at each other like, okay, this person has a teammate, this person has a teammate. Grace Brown, we we know she's an incredible time trialist. She's done this before. She's gone so this is how she won Brabant's appeal last year. So they know that she has that in her. And yet when she went, nobody responded fast enough to bring her back, which was really interesting. And and also speaks to just how strong she is, which is really exciting heading into the next handful of Belgian races, because they they do suit her, these these style of races. Um Dem- Morgen? De Morgen. There we go. Jesus. Morgen. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah. When it comes to the sprint that we saw, there was nothing too surprising about who made it into the top 10. I mean, Jolene de Horen, uh, Emma Norsgaard, Emma was second, um, and Jolene third, which is unsurprising. Both of them have been riding really, really well uh, this year. I think a lot of the sprinters that finished behind them probably wouldn't have given it the race is over. <laughs> I don't know. That's how I would feel. Still, it's it's a world tour. Even when the race is gone and you're a sprinter, just speaking from experience, it is a world tour race. So coming second or third, that's massive points and standing on the podium. Yeah, you've lost the race due to an error in 
miscalculation of how strong Grace Brown was and just not reacting. But, um, you know, I was saying earlier all the big dogs were there, so it's a chance for them to sort of um, line up against each other. And we know that there aren't that many races that come down to pure sprints these days. So for the real sprinters, this was an opportunity to, to sort of show what they've got going. Um, and before we know it, we'll be at the end of the classics. They're not going to feature in the Ardennes. Um, that being said, I think Norsgaard is just incredible and she seems to be able to do everything at the moment. So I wouldn't discount her. But um, for someone like Chloe Hosking, who has had, I believe, is it one podium this year? Um, yeah. I don't know, but she was third at this race a couple years yeah. ago. So this finish is something she knows. Already. So she's come onto Trek as their, their, their big signing as a sprinter, essentially. So I think today would have been quite important for her. Um, and again, we're coming to towards the end of the the real classic season as such. Gent Wolverham, we know, can come down to a reduced bunch sprint. Again, another opportunity for these sprinters to show themselves. But today was really a sprinter's race won by a time trialer, which I think was very cool. It was interesting as well, you say about like the importance of like just kind of a world in a world tour race getting best result you can. Because Lorena Weavers, um, she was in like the third group um, and she sprinted um from that group as well um probably she was frustrated that she didn't get to like actually contest the win but yeah it just shows you and also I'd mentioned uh Lotte Kopecky came fourth which in that group is pretty impressive because she's not really like a pure sprinter and she did that really big effort to get back onto the group earlier on so yeah she's definitely one to watch for coming races she also didn't have, she was one of the few that didn't have a teammate in that group with her. And so she, she was doing more work than some of the other sprinters. I mean, Jolene had Amy Peters riding on the front for her and she was, they were pretty much all taking poles at one point because the group behind with D, team DSM and also, um, Ale BTC Ljubljana at one point, it looked like it might come back together for Lorena Webus and team DSM. I mean, this is a race that last year she won it she's had so few opportunities and for all of the sprinters i mean like you said lauren the classics will be over before we know it and there's very very few classics on the women's side that are pure sprinting races and then for the rest of the season there's really no pure sprinting opportunities there's like a random giro stage and and some of the like flatter races like the um bulls rental tour stuff like that yeah, and again, that's that's typically a race that comes very much at the end of the season. We missed out on Drenta, um, Drenta Act. But uh, speaking of world tour races, this was a world tour event. So, yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a shame for the sprinters in that regards. But I think it's always really cool when the race is won in such a manner um, that hasn't been done like this before for the women. Speaking of races won in a cool manner, should we talk about Trofeo Alfredo Binda, the last Women's World Tour race that happened last weekend? Because that was a pretty incredible race. I mean, the last couple laps, once they hit the small loops, it was really aggressive. There was pretty much always a break off the front. At one point, there was someone off the front and then the chasing peloton. With 22 kilometers to go or 21 kilometers to go, that was when uh, Trek Segafredo had this amazing moment where 
Ruth Winder was on the front and she brought back um, Anaska Koster, Yumbo Visma. And then as soon as Ruth kind of started to fade, Taylor Wiles went and it looked at first like she was attacking, but really she just strung the Peloton out to this perfect situation where if you, you were where you were, there was no moving up. And as soon as Taylor faded, that's when Kashaniwa Doma went, which kind of spurred this group of incredible climbers slash just the top riders in the sport right now to move off the front. And then Elisa Longaborghini attacked them and soloed to the win, which was an incredible effort by Elisa. She, I mean, her crossing the finish line in Italy with her national champion jersey and all of the Italian flags behind her were, was just like brought a tear to my eye, but it was such an incredible finish by her. And she won by over a minute, like her her effort in, at the end was really impressive. And she was being chased down by the likes of Kashini Wadoma, Mariana Voss. I mean, Cecile Utrecht Ludwig. The thing about the thing that was really interesting about the makeup of the groups at Trofeo Alfredo Binda is that SD Works really missed out on the action. At, when Kashini Wadoma attacked, Ashley Moen Passio was right there. And it looked like SD Works. They just, they didn't have the legs on the day. And elsewhere in Belgium at Omloop Van, Van de Westhook, they went 1-2 with Christine Mayerus and Amy Peters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they just, you could say like, oh, they didn't bring their A squad. But like Ashley Monpasio is also their A squad. <laughs> She's an incredible rider. And I think like, what happened at Trofeo Alfredo Binda with SD Works in particular was Aliza was just the strongest rider. She was like absolutely the strongest rider on the day. And Aliza was in a league of her own that day. When she attacked, no one could respond. And the the distance she put into the other riders, I mean, we know how Cecile races, was incredible. So once she was gone and then it took that group a while, I feel, to get really organised and then throughout the, the course of the chase, they just weren't super organised. There are a few riders in there that were disrupting the chase um, and she was, yeah, on that day in a league of her own, that was her race to be won. But, um, yeah, interesting with SD Works, you know, we've been harping on about how they're winning everything and going into this race, like you could throw every sort of card at them and they'd be able to match it. Um, but like you said, if it wasn't the case that Mormon was too far down the line and caught sleeping, she was there. Um, she was, she's one of their top climbers and yeah, it could just be the fact she didn't have the legs in the day. That happens. Yeah. I mean, you could pretty much see her legs blow as, um, as Elisa attacked, like she tried to go and then she sat down and it was just like, she just didn't have it. And it's interesting because we kind of saw from Trek what we have been seeing from SD Works um, with the sort of sending off riders. They've sent um, Taylor and Ruth um, and then sending off one more attack that sticks. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. And I think SD Works team at that race was quite a young team and also quite a lot of riders were new to the team. So maybe the cohesion between the group wasn't quite there, like that we're used to seeing with all the riders that have been on there, on that team for a while. Um, I think Chantal Vanderbrook Black was the only rider that is actually wasn't new to the team um, in that race. No, Trofeo Alfredo Binda has always been this weird race where like the top riders usually 
the top riders don't always go to this race. I mean, it's clearly a Voss favorite. She's won it four times, but like Anamique sitting it out and a Vanderbregen sat it out. It's just not a race that usually attracts all of the best riders at once, like Strada and Flanders and stuff like that, which is really interesting to me because I think that this race is underrated. Uh, one of the things about the chase behind Elisa was I think that they they weren't super motivated to just bring Voss to the line. She's she finished second uh, from she finished second behind Elisa Longaborghini, but she's won the like I said she's won the race four times and the sprint finish it's like a three hundred meter long kind of like slight uphill and it just fits her perfectly. So I think that everyone would have looked at her in that group and been like. If we bring her to Elisa, we're literally delivering Voss a fifth victory at this race, which definitely demotivates the chase. Yeah, but I feel like then you're just throwing the win out the door completely. Like even a slightest chance of doing that. If you if you do that because of one rider, then I would say, okay, if Elisa solos and we can't bring her back, it's day done. But if I still want to be in the race, particularly for someone like Cecile, you know, her best shot is to to have another crack, um, bring Elisa back and then go over the top of her. But, yeah, like you said, if they're looking at Voss and going, well, she's the outright favourite to win this if we all go to the line, yeah, that's sort of negative racing and that's, you know, why the, the, the time gap just blew out in the end because, yeah, like you said, the motivation just started lacking. Some riders weren't even pulling turns and... Um, I mean, it, it was it was great for Elisa, but yeah, I never would have uh, not that I can climb. Let someone like that get such a substantial gap. Um, but she was incredible on the day, and Trek were fantastic. I'm really happy to see them get such a big win. Yeah, I wasn't sure what um, um, in particular Soraya Paladin was that. Am I just getting that right? Was that the live rider? Yeah. Um, yeah. She, I don't know what her game was really, because she was sort of thought in the chase a little bit. She would not come through. And when she got into the front, she was like immediately slowing down. And then in the end, she came last out of that group, I think. So she, yeah, that was interesting from her and from Liv in that sense. Impressive that she made the group. And then if she didn't have the legs to like pull through, then that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there there was riders in that group that were really motivated to bring Aliza back. Like C- Cecily Utrip Ludwig was definitely motivated, and so was Kasia. At one point, Kasia got fed up and just tried to attack. Um, in inside, I think the final like two k, but it was a a weird situation going on behind Aliza. I mean, they had to be chasing a little bit because otherwise they would have been brought back by the group that was behind them which wasn't that far behind them. So in general, it was a really exciting race, I think. And we got to watch it for yes. the first time ever. Man, we're watching so much. There, what are you talking about? There was there was Trofeo Alfredo Benda live coverage, like, I think, I can't remember, 2019, oh, last year it didn't happen. finish line? No, there was live coverage in 2019, except it was just kind of like a like a thing on the back of a bike. And so it was really oh, yeah. like, like this all just, like just the... shaking all the time and it give you a <laughs> headache. Sickness. Like the coverage from um, 
West Hook. <laughs> that yeah, was yeah, exactly. We tried to watch that, my boyfriend and I, and then we just went, all right, we're walking out now. <laughs> <laughs> Another notable thing from Trofeo Alfredo Binda is that they had the Piccolo Trofeo Alfredo Binda, the junior race, which last year with all of the cancellations throughout the season, there was so, really it was the juniors and the U23s that got kind of the short end of the stick. All of their races were canceled and the elite riders had at least like there was a lot of effort to get their calendars back up and running, but for the U 23s and the juniors, there really wasn't, they didn't even have worlds. And so it was really exciting to see that the Piccolo Trofeo Alfredo Benda went forward. It was won by, I'm going to absolutely butcher this name. Anina Atosala of Finland, who rides for the Hentala development team that was recently started by Lotta Hentala, the professional on Saratizit WNT, which is awesome. Okay, so two awesome things, junior racing and also professional riders who are giving back to the sport and especially Lotta, who's been really, really vocal about her mental health struggles when it comes to cycling and just life in general. The fact that she has started this development team. It's not something we see from riders in the Peloton very often that they, you know, back an entire women's development team, but Lada has. So, yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. I'd really like to to get her on the, the podcast sometime. Even if she's not willing yet to talk about mental health, I think um, it's an important topic and this is giving her an added purpose to being just a, a professional athlete. I know a lot of professional athletes struggle with the fact that it's such a selfish endeavor that um, I think when you give something back to society, it's, you know, at least in my experience, that would have made it um, easier to continue. And you can find the Hentala development team on Facebook and like them. So give them your kudos because it's great to see that out there in the world. We need more development teams. One of the things that really holds women's cycling back is the fact that there is this massive leap from racing locally to racing professionally. And there's no U23 uh, racing for the women. On the, For the men there is, but for the women, it's just junior to professional. And it's this huge leap that some riders really crumble under. So you sink or swim, yeah. Exactly. And you might have all the talent in the world, but maybe your maturity level's not there. Maybe you're coming from America or Australia or New Zealand and you have to spend months and months away from home and um, when things just don't click and you miss home and you're adjusting to living in a country where you don't speak the language and the weather is shit, um, it's easy to pack up and go home. And that's why I actually think that we see this emergence um at least from australia of older riders like grace brown who's coming to the sport at 25 or 26 and she's doing well because she's got the maturity behind her so really cool what Lotta's doing um i hope to see actually some of the the bigger riders moving into more development stuff like wouldn't it be cool if anna vanderbregen went in that direction with sd works if they had a development team somehow and there's a few riders, I think, that are doing more in the development side of things. Um, Roxanne Knetterman is is doing a lot with, um, with Holland. All right, moving on. Uh, we kind of already covered Bruges de Pena, but one of the things that we didn't touch on was the new road team, Plantura Pura, which is 
just like a bunch of cyclocross riders, <laughs> including um, Celine Del Carmen Alvarado and Senna Cant. So two of like the very, very best. What's interesting about this to me is on the men's side, we had two of the best cyclocross riders take up road and it has completely transformed the men's Peloton. I mean, literally the, the men's Peloton has been elevated multiple steps because of two guys. And I wonder if we'll see something similar on the women's side with this new team and selling to Car- Del Carmen Alvarado and Senna Cant riding road races. Cause they're, they re- just raced Bruges de Pana and they will be racing more of the Belgian classics coming up. What do you yeah. guys think? I mean, they definitely have the physiology, but um, what I will mention here is it seems that the women tend to do the reverse. So the roadies jump in the cyclocross and then absolutely dominate the cyclocross. If we look previously um, at the world championships, like Marion Voss, Pauline, um, Christine Mayoris, she's uh, been up there quite a bit. Last season wasn't the best cross season she's had, but she's run like, a t- I think, a fourth in the world championships. And, of course, Lucinda Brund, who was so dominant on the road and then decided to do something a bit different and go ahead to cross. Mm-hmm. So physiologically, these riders have what it takes. Um, Sana Kant, she does race in Belgium and she's been around quite a long time. I still remember racing against her. But um, I'm super curious about Alvarado. Um, I think she has all the makings. And last year she did really well in Ardesh. So, I mean, today is not a race that suits her at all. Um, but put her in a hilly course, send her to um, Binder, and I think she would have been quite incredible there. So mm-hmm. um, whether we'll have the Vanderpool, Van Art sort of effect, I don't think so, maybe in the future. But um, that's a really special rivalry and something they're just incredible athletes. I yeah. mean, Vanderpool can do it all. They're kind of their own little. <laughs> they're, they're something else. Something. I mean, it's it's what Voss, what Voss was in the beginning when she was their age. Yeah, I mean, no pressure, Celine, on this one. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to completely transfer on yeah. the sport. No, I mean, I think that the the differences between the men's peloton and the women's peloton when it comes to riders like this is that the women's Peloton is already really aggressive and already races on feel and already (laughs) race. They race like, like they are in a cyclocross race already, which is why we see so much back and forth on the women's side between cross and road. It's not uncommon. And I think for the men, like no offense to them. I still love watching men's racing. They have really exciting races, but I think a lot of the times they fall into this like stagnant place and having two riders who race completely differently has—that's the reason they've changed it. Mm, it's very scripted men's racing, and people have been saying it for year, for years. People who love men's racing, and that's why we always say women's racing is completely different. So you're hundred percent right. I think um, they've really like Vanderpool is such an exciting rider to watch, um, and he just throws everything at it, and he does things that the other pro riders are like, well, we know this typically comes to a bunch sprint. So yeah, he almost won um, the race after Hedges blood. Was it? I'm trying to think of it. Um, yeah. Uh, Kern Brussels Kern. That was the most exciting edition I think I've ever watched. No Kern Brussels Kern. You're right. Yeah. Because typically they know they're going to sprint at the end, but he came so close um, to winning that race. And mm-hmm. I think it's great. 
women's racing is already exciting enough. I was going to say today was a prime example of how unpredictable and exciting it is. I mean, everyone thought it was going to come down to a bunch sprint. There was no breakaway. Everyone, It was constant attacks. Everyone thought it was going to come down to a bunch sprint. And Grace Brown was just like, now nah, I'm going to TT to the finish. See ya. Like, you know, it's that's like Vanderpool going, I attacked because I was cold. I mean, it's not quite the same, but. Yeah. <laughs> so coming up, we have another world tour race in like three days, which is crazy that we've had just like boom, 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 given the two week break in between Strada Bianchi and Trofeo Alfredo Binda. Um, but now we have Ghent Wevelgen, Ghent Wevelgen coming up on Sunday. So what do we think? It's a little bit of a sprinter's race, but with some cobbles and some small climbs that breaks it up. If it's a sprint, it's usually a smaller group and it's not really like pure, pure sprinters that kind of come into the line together, but it's also been one from a break, uh, of the three of the six races that they've had three have been sprints from a reduced Peloton and three have been breakaways. So what do we think? It's uh, it's always a hard race, and one of well, we're in Belgium, so one of the big factors always is the wind, and it seems to really play into this race too. Um, the circuits, yeah, if the race has been really, really hard up to the point where they hit the, uh, which climb is it? I mean, we don't know the course yet because they're not Flanders Classics. Oh yeah, they're isn't not releasing. But then they always courses. go up the one famous climb. <laughs> I think it's the Kopenberg. Hemmelberg. Oh. I don't know. I just plucked that out. Quermont? No. Now we're just throwing (laughs) it. One of them. Definitely. The Paterberg. name of climb. Oh, (laughs) like you said, it's it's never going to be a huge bunch sprint, right? It's going to be those really strong type sprinters like Lotta Kopecky if she's there at the end. Yolanda Hora, she's won it before. Um, and then you never know. It can actually come down to one rider slipping away in those last kilometres. Um, that's happened as well when there's been crazy crosswinds and it's been hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a very exciting race, that's for sure. Yeah, it's interesting just looking at the start list and um, most of the teams are fielding like pretty similar um, teams to today. Like a few like notable exceptions are... Lizzie Dagnan and Elisa Lombardini in Trek, um, and Cassia in Canyon. Um, I guess because of what you say, Lauren, like it could still, it could also be a break rather than like a reduced bunch sprint. Um, like, it, I think it's going to play out quite similarly to Omelette, maybe, um, but without. Uh, Anna van der Breggen because she won't be there. So I think it's more open maybe. Although, I mean, SD Works is still there with like Dor and Cicchini, Cicchini. Um, yeah, and Peters. So yeah, unpredictable that we were just saying. Yeah, it continues to be totally unpredictable. <laughs> Even the races we think are predictable are not predictable. <laughs> Do we want to even try to pick winners? Because I feel like... Well, last week I was like, oh, we're going to go for one of two um, of Abby's favourites. Uh, Elisa, you haven't got many favourites. <laughs> and actually, if we had said Elisa and Cecile, we would have been on the mark. We, we've seen together, um, we've seen today that Norsgaard is in still in incredible form. She's sprinting really well. Um, I would say at the end of a really hard race, don't discount her. She 
she's been around the mark and yet to get that big win, but that could just be um, right on the doorstep, actually. Um, Kopecky, never discount her. She's also been right up there in this race. Um, of course, Yolinda Horta, Chloe Hosking, perhaps. Um, she hasn't been sprinting, I'd say, as well as we've seen her done, but you never know um, on the day. And then from SD Works, yeah, Yolin. Um, that, that would be my picks if, if it's a reduced bunch sprint, essentially. I also forgot to add that um, Yombe Visma. Who went that day? I mean, I guess it's because the reason that we didn't notice is because they're brand new to the Peloton yeah. already. So we wouldn't have later on in the season if an entire team, the team of Mariana <laughs> Voss, is missing from a race. We'll probably notice. But yeah, you're right. No, they're not a World Tour team. Sorry, no, that, that makes sense because, uh, yeah, at least in the Dutch commentary they were saying today, it is a heavy program um, this next week and a bit because if you race today, then Sunday, then Wednesday, is it? Dwarves? Dwarves or Vanderlint? Yeah, and then again, Flanders. So maybe they thought, sit this out, rest the riders, bring in a fresh team for Sunday. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they've got um, Voss, obviously, and... Um, Anna Henderson is with is there as well. She's been doing a really good job for the team. Oh, I'm such a big yeah, fan of Anna Henderson. She descends just like a bat <laughs> out of hell. And I just am I just love it. I think it's just so great. It's because she used to be a ski racer, and ski racers know how to go downhill. It's the same weight <laughs> distribution. Fun fact. Um I'm gonna go for Marta Cavalli. Mm-hmm because she rode really well in Omelette Pet Newsblad. If it does kind of shake out a little bit the same, she's been riding consistently well. I mean, she was also really strong at Strada Bianchi. So we know that she can get up any climbs and uh, she's got a really good sprint on her. I think she was fifth here last year. So, Oh, Belsama as well is another name to throw in. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Marta, we got a lot of names that just got <laughs> thrown out. But now you have a lot of people to watch. <laughs> and I mean, like our chances now of getting the win are so much greater by throwing out more names. So Amy, throw a few in. Oh the God. Um I hate doing this, you know. Um <laughs> I think <No>. I <laughs> We're here to we're here to remove you from your comfort zone. That's the okay. whole reason. Thanks for this exercise. <laughs> I feel like I'm at some sort of course. Um <laughs> like a work course. Uh I would say maybe Emma Norsgaard's a good shot if she can get uh, over the climbs because she's been knocking on the door. Like this was the, today was like I think the third time she's come second um, Correct. this season. So she'll be she'll be wanting to uh, to change that for a first. And Kapeki. Um maybe Hannah Barnes is worth a mention or her sister. Oh yeah, one of the one of the Barneses. Yeah. Alice rode really, really well at the Healthy Aging Tour, and then she made the split today. So that was impressive. And she didn't factor in the sprint today. I think she was ninth. But I don't think that that really takes anything away from the legs that she's shown already this season. So I think Alice would be a great shout. And Hannah as well. I mean, if it's if it comes down to like a reduced bunch, then the two Barn sisters together are quality. Emma Norsgaard, interestingly, all three of her second places were all in Belgium. Mm. It's time for a win. Anyway, that's all we got. That was our show. No Paris-Roubaix! <laughs> I feel like 
we could talk about it and we could try to report on it. But literally yesterday, there was like pretty firm evidence or pretty firm reporting that there wasn't going to be a Perry Roubaix. And then Perry Roubaix was like, or the ASO was like, no, we never said that. And it's like, okay, well, I don't think it's up to you for one. It's up to the French government and two, like. <laughs> it's an emotional roller coaster. No, it's. <laughs> I get. I can't even follow it anymore because it's such an emotional roller coaster. It's like whiplash every time I read the news about it. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the current situation uh, up here, I would say, I know I'm in Belgium, but yeah. I mean, we're going into a lockdown as of tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah. With everything that's going on, I don't see Perry Roubaix going ahead in the spring. Yeah. But as long as, long yeah. as if it can be postponed, I don't think it's a, quite as sad because I thought, like, I mean, I was looking forward to it being in October last year. So it'd be extra, yeah, like gnarly and like possible more chance of like rain. Yeah. So as long as it's not completely cancelled, don't get the violins out yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also that's a valid point. Hopefully, most of Europe is vaccinated by then, so maybe they'll allow fans again on the course. I mean. I would really like to go and witness it in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first ever women's Paris-Roubaix with no fans would kind of be a yeah, little sad. Yeah. As long as we can hop straight from the women's tour to that, as long as they don't clash. It's <laughs> a good point. We might have to abandon the women's tour to go to Paris-Roubaix. I mean, the hierarchy, yeah. I don't know. I love the women's tour, but the first ever women's Paris-Roubaix. You could do part of the women's tour, though. Mm. It's a tour. <laughs> Hopefully they just don't clash at all. Hopefully it's possible to to see both. Fingers mm. crossed. We will continue reporting on the Perry Roubaix situation as it unfolds. And stay tuned to the Cycling Tips website, cyclingtips.com, for all of your news in cycling. I'm I'm not allowed to say I'm not allowed to have favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you work for everybody. <laughs> But we will slowly pull you into our clutches. Sorry. (laughs) The town bicycle, doing the rounds. I'm not sure about that. That particular association. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in Girona. Shots fired from Lauren. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, On that note, (laughs) thank you so much for listening to the Freewheeling Podcast. And thanks again to Pac for sponsoring this episode. And thank you to Lauren and Amy for coming in with your hot takes next time we'll be back next week for more